is anime on the sea to sky episode three um the scheduling in between the first couple of episodes and now has been a little lopsided really had no idea how i wanted to schedule this out so over the next uh, couple of weeks i'm going to try and keep it out to a sunday release schedule recording it over the weekend and trying to put it out at the beginning of the week uh fingers crossed more like famous last words i would assume but at least i've got enough topics in the backlog to uh keep this running for quite a bit of time and uh over the next couple of weeks i'll kind of see how i can keep up to that pace so at least for this week i was essentially looking back on the perspective of myself as an anime fan getting into it in the early 2010s now going back to one of my previous videos or not videos my previous podcasts i was a guy that had vhs copies of pokemon of digimon uh, I would be able to watch Cardcaptor Sakura on the kids' WB Saturday morning lineup. I had all these opportunities to watch all these different anime as they were coming out on broadcast and on home video, but I never really considered myself a, an anime fan of that regard, considering that I, I still had no idea what anime was. It wasn't until I realized that it was a completely different medium created by an, indifferent, an entirely different set of people um, that I started to realize, okay, so this is a lot deeper and a lot more complex than I once thought. And jumping into the topic and kind of uh, going back and forth a bit, I would say at the beginning of the 2010s, I would definitely call it the streaming generation of anime fans. And by a generational standpoint, it's... I would say it's a decade-by-decade decade basis. Pro another one of the topics I'll probably go on a later date is essentially how the 2010s related to the 2000s, related to the 90s, and so on, considering that all of the methods of consuming this kind of media have evolved and changed drastically over such a short span of time thanks to the advent of the internet and that's in an entirely other uh, cast in of itself. But at least for today, starting on how... I became a fan and picking off uh, one of my previous casts, uh, I still was initially an anime fan back in late 2012, I would like to say. That's where I, when I got into it. Not through torrenting, not through buying DVDs, not through going through the, uh, like the majority of the standard methods, but now realizing that streaming was a thing. I mean, one of the first sh the first show that I ever watched and re and recognized as anime is something else that wasn't necessarily created in North America or licensed and um, to our demographic would have been Chrono Crusade, and I found that on the Xbox Live Marketplace in the summer in the summer of 2011. So I definitely did say 2012, but looking back on it, that was essentially when everything changed and my perspective and view just got completely overrun and swapped at the blink of an eye. Through the Xbox Live Marketplace, I downloaded the first, or in this case bought with my own uh, currency, the first four episodes of Chrono Crusade and then looking it up online later, realizing that I'm pretty sure Funimation had uploaded the entire series, the entire 24-episode series, on their YouTube channel. And afterwards I'm thinking, okay, well that was just a bit of money uh, well spent. And leading into that, completing the entire series, uh, jumping back into it, um, more and more searches on YouTube related to Chrono Crusade led into these evanescence AMVs, or anime music videos, uh, in comparison, and due to the recommendation system, all the AMVs recommended other AMVs, and I had a backlog of all of these music videos with all these cool new shows and bids that I had never seen before, but it gave me a... It gave me a list, it gave me a backlog of stuff that I wanted to go watch. And so, leading up after that, 
just simply searching X anime episode one on Google, this led me to my first, you know, streaming site, which was illegal, of course. Um, it wasn't Crunchyroll, considering that uh, Crunchyroll, like, even began its days as a pirating site and then legal and then legalized itself, uh, I think it was in the late 2000s, early 2010s. It's just that they didn't have the library or the cloud considering that this is now a legal operation. They couldn't necessarily have all of their stuff backlogged to a server and still give it out for free. That legitimately had to come into a sense of right and start paying for subscription services in the same vein as Netflix, and it all went through from there. But for the time... Uh, for the entirety of the tw- uh, for the entirety of 2011 and 2012, it was all streamed. That's how I consumed all of my anime at that point in time. At some point in 2012, a buddy of mine pointed me in the direction of torrenting, and so with those, I was able to get much higher quality uh, versions of the content that I was consuming, and I didn't have to worry about any of the. Uh, internet issues that I had uh, going through my house whenever I had to stream something, considering that it always required a decent connection, it always required for me to actually go through, and majority of the time, the con- the, qual- the quality of the uh, streaming wasn't as good as um, the majority of the options that were out there, 360, 480p around those uh, bids, and you could get Blu-ray rips uh, through torrenting at that point in time, which completely blew my mind. And so I focused more on movies for that specifically, going through torrenting, and then afterwards, um, it just uh, continuously moved forward, watching 100% of my anime illegally until 2013, when I finally ended up getting a Crunchyroll account, and that took about 50 to 60% of my anime just off the bat. So now I was paying for the majority of my content, but even then in the beginning of the 2010s, not as many uh not as many shows were licensed, not as many of them moving into the streaming age were able to find themselves onto a platform where they could at least get their wide distribution set out. And so the majority of the time I just stuck on streams. And as the years went by, I would say I was still uh, hard Crunchyroll and regular streaming and torrenting up until about 2016. So for a good four years. And afterwards, in January 2017, people started pointing out Amazon uh, trying to get in on the action and essentially creating their own service, Anime Strike which was behind a double paywall, you needed Amazon Prime, and then you had to pay an additional monthly service in order to get Amazon Strike, or Anime Strike, and nobody liked that. Nobody in their right mind were thinking, look, we enjoy anime, but if you're telling me I'm going to have to pay nearly $15 a month just to watch one or two shows, uh, I, I would have called you a madman. The only issue that I have with that is that whoever was in charge of licensing the specific shows out on Anime Strike, when they were able to get the exclusive license to those shows that were particularly airing, they picked the good stuff. (laughs) They were really good at deciding which shows that they were going to be putting on their platform for that season, and that was the only reason. If they picked up just random, like, niche, nobody would be watching these shows, then obviously nobody would have honestly, nobody would have cared. Nobody would have turned uh, or given them a second thought, but it's just that, look, they were picking up After the Rain, they were picking up Cabinary, they were picking up Land of the Lustrous, and the biggest one I'd say they picked up in that time was Made in Abyss. Honestly, arguably the biggest show of 2017 they had under their umbrella. 
Um, thankfully, this didn't last. Anime Strike only went on for a whole year, from January 2017 to January 2018. But Amazon would continue to pick up titles, and they would continue to uh, go for exclusivity over the course of the next few seasons. But it wasn't behind a double paywall anymore, and people legitimately like started to uh, give them um, a bit of clout and a bit of recognition. And Netflix, on top of that, was also getting into... Um, the bids as well, also going for exclusive rights. They weren't behind a double paywall, but they were. Th- but the titles itself were thrown into what everybody has now coined as Netflix jail. If a show, the majority of the time, if a show was going to be airing in Japan, say uh, the beginning of spring 2017, so April of 2017, normally you would not get that title for another four to five months after its initial release, and in this case, one to two months after it was over. And so everybody, myself included, were incredibly concerned, considering that by the time the show was out, and it was already pirated, considering that from the from the Japanese Netflix and from the Japanese streaming services, they could essentially just take rips off of that stream and still illegally stream it, illegally torrent it. It would have its time in the limelight, like every other series would in the three months of the, in the three months per season that they would go. And then by the time it finally came out on Netflix, it's like, oh great, uh, it's in your catalog. Nice. If it's not massive, then everybody's just going to let that sit and rot away inside your library, and barely anybody is going to take notice of it for a bit. Because in comparison, the biggest difference between uh, the 2000s and the 2010s, especially in the streaming era, is that it is within 24 hours. We are able to get the episodes and content within 24 hours of them airing in Japan in comparison to months, if not years, that you would have to wait in order for you to get a licensed version of of a specific show or for it to be fans translated or fan subbed and essentially like finally find its way onto the internet for people to download in the middle of the fan subbing era of the 2000s. Even if you were able to find the schedule of shows that were going to be out uh, in that particular season, you would still have to wait months. And nowadays, in the advent of streaming and Crunchyroll and Netflix, the fact that you would still keep your own title behind a behind a paywall, not, not a paywall, behind a four to five month window was just mind boggling. And of course, it still does make sense considering that, okay, well, if we release it on the same day and we have a Jap, but we're, and we have the Japanese episodes with English and whichever other language subtitles going on day one, then what essentially is going to bring people back once four months down the line, we are able to bring it out with uh, regular dubs and the programming and production that we had been using that time to essentially put out. And I completely understand that. But it's just, it's tragic when essentially you see anything that you're looking forward to now that now that we all have the charts, now that we can all go on Mal, on any chart, on essentially any other resource to go and look up what's going to be airing in the next season, just like that, and we will know um, if there's anything uh, massive to be uh, taken out. For me in particular, uh, they've been able to put out a lot of big shows um, in comparison, not in comparison, related to Trigger. Trigger definitely has uh, something related to, or a contract related to Netflix, considering that the majority of their shows, including Little Witch Academia and uh, BNA, have all made their way into Netflix jail, and that is the majority of the time where they uh, get distributed. Um, and then other shows like Dragon Pilot, Carolyn Tuesday, Beastars, uh, Great Pretender, as of the latest one, Great Pretender, um, are the ones that have essentially been going through. But thankfully, they still found these shows, regardless of what you do, piracy is always going to be an issue. It is always going to be relevant, and it is always going to be there. But at least in my comparison, due to at the end of 2012, when I was 
illegally streaming and downloading 100% of my content, I would say nowadays I'm only doing that with about 5%, with about one in every 20 of my titles, considering that now you have... Unfortunately, you're spoiled for choice because we're going back to the uh, to the cable medium, essentially, that we've got Netflix. The, the different streaming services that you would be able to find exclusive content on a season-by-season basis, you're talking about one Netflix, two Amazon, three High Dive, four Funimation, five Crunchyroll, and it's just, it definitely gets... Uh, exhausting at times. There are definitely a lot of these, some of the some of the streaming services I share with my family, some of them I turn off for three months when, three to six months, when I know that I'm not going to be having any shows inside of their catalog that I'm going to be watching. So it's a little inconvenient in that sort of line. But the fact that now almost every single show can find a way to get licensed and distributed in a worldwide setting and audience is a fantastic evolution of how it's been able to go through. Now the biggest uh, licensing challenge nowadays is going back into the annals of history, going back to the 90s to the 80s and some to the early 2000s to try and figure out a way to bring those shows into a legal light. Because of course you can find almost anything that you need as long as you're willing to download it and wait for it. But for a wider, broader audience and a way for somebody to actually be able to get that onto their feed and be interested in something that came out uh, 20 to 30 years ago, that's the that's the major bid. The some of the outliers that I would definitely like bring into that bid is that Netflix has been really good at bringing back lo- uh, long running and large shows. And the most notable bid that came out last year in 2019 was Evangelion, one that had been caught in licensing and rights hell that was never that had a limited number of physical copies being released that are now sold for hundreds of dollars online and there was no legal way for anybody to find or consume the show until Netflix picked it up, redubbed it, also and was also able to get uh the two movies that related to it. Um uh what is it? Uh Death and Rebirth and The End of Evangelion because you need both of those films. Uh, not uh, not the first one, but End of Evangelion, you needed that to be part of the entire Evangelion experience. Even if the ending was already there for Evangelion, they needed to include the end of it just so people would actually be able to experience it for themselves. It's been, let's see, I think in 2017, Violet Evergarden was streamed everywhere, including in Canada, uh, to everywhere except the States. And they... And so that was kind of unfortunate for them, but at least they were able to pick up these large-scale shows that definitely have a following, or notably uh, somebody somebody went through. So like Carolyn Tuesday, you had Shinichiro Watanabe and Yoko Kano. With Violet Evergarden, it was the newest and highly acclaimed and highly sought-after show coming out of Kyoto Animation. There was a backing of fans. There were definitely people that were going to be interested in that regardless of where it was. And whoever was on the team for Netflix definitely had a good pickup there. Um, and then leading into 2018, they definitely started off the year with a bang in terms of Devilman Crybaby. And that was on the minds of everybody on YouTube, on Twitter, on essentially every other platform that you could use to discuss that kind of show. And it all just dropped out in one go and everybody consumed it and everybody was just gobsmacked at how somebody would have been able to make this. Masaki Iwasa is definitely um, one of my favorite directors at this point, and I'm so glad that he was able to find international success in that kind of uh, series. Uh, Japan Sinks nowadays in 2020, I definitely had some problems with it. It was fine. 
but I would still I would still put it on a recommendation to uh, get that out there. In terms of uh, Canadian Netflix, the fact that just earlier this year we were able to get the entire uh, Ghibli catalog just all set up, everything with Miyazaki, everybody with Isao Takahata, just everything by Ghibli finally um, on on the way on the way through because uh, Disney was Disney was really good at uh, licensing all of these films and getting and getting their distribution over the course of the 2000s and the 2010s. Uh, same for. Uh, in, in vain, regardless of Nausicaa, that was interesting. Please don't have any cuts. Um, but the fact that that is now all available for us to consume and for me to like point anybody in any which way to just say like, okay, watch these, watch these films. They're all on Netflix now. And I think it's HBO Max for the US, so they've had it for quite a while, but now Netflix has the opportunity for a handful of other countries to essentially bring that into our catalog. So that was good. So just how streaming was able to become the modem or, or the major means of consuming media is honestly amazing at this point in time. Now, uh, in terms of the convenience and how many people are able to uh, jump through at such a at such a simple bid with such a simple price, um, I really don't hope that we have to go through the majority of times where we jump, we keep jumping back into the cable mod and every, we're going to be having more and more streaming services. I think the amount that we have sitting right here is fine. I would like to see, uh, I would just like to see more and more, uh, classics come, uh, back in their way and more and more people uh, looking back on it. So it's just the advent of streaming and giving people the means to actually go through this instead of having to wait for download and find torrent and, you know, who's going to source it, who's going to seed it, who's going to leech and essentially all of those things. While not complicated and not really much of a wall for uh, an, a huge wall of entry, is still just kind of like, yeah, you need a computer, you need a decent internet connection to at least consume the majority of the stuff that everybody's going to go through. So at least there is that kind of bid to uh, bring people around now that there are more and more options for people to jump, to, uh, jump into it. And so yeah, I think just the comparison at this point in time, um, going back, even knowing that downloading existed, knowing that Flash was still an opportunity to uh, go and at least still appreciate and enjoy this medium in a different degree, but would also lead me into... Um, what I would consume uh, early in the 2010s, uh, jumping through. Um, it was still, looking back on it, uh, it's just the ease of access. It's distribution. The fact that I walked into these sites and realizing that the internet had given me unlimited access to every piece of content, every movie, every show, whether they were coming out seasonally, whether they had already been like out of print for decades, the fact that that was all sitting at my fingertips in front of a 16-year-old kid who previously only had DVDs and VHS tapes to go and watch all of these stuff. It was just a mind-boggling moment um, at that time. I, I would honestly like jumping back into the VCR stuff. I'll, I'll probably uh, focus more on this on a different topic and a different cast in a different episode, but, um, like, just, I don't know, I'm pretty sure we sold off our VHS copies, but I'm pretty sure I had the first 20 episodes of Pokemon on VHS, I had the Digimon movie, uh, I had the first two Pokemon films, and the rest I never did get to go see in theaters, but they, they would always be, 
they would always be at Roger's video. They would always be a way for me to uh, rent those uh, movies every single time a new one came out. And it was like, okay, that's my night. Same deal with renting video games, same deal with renting music. Um, well, not necessarily renting music. I didn't. That was the only, in terms of the advent of streaming uh, in the 2000s for music, that was definitely something that I didn't jump onto at the time. Like, I mean, my dad had, uh, my dad was getting into iTunes. I was downloading and forwarding his entire CD collection into iTunes just so he would be able to have a library to take around with him. Like that kind of stuff was legitimately fascinating at the time. But now realizing that I could do with um, with visual media instead of just music was honestly insane. Although I will admit the first CD that I ever bought for music was the SSX3 soundtrack because I played that game so much. Oh, man. So I guess the last terms of bid uh, that I want to talk about in, uh, with the streaming generation, now that everything is just so convenient and now everybody has the opportunity to just pay a simple monthly subscription and have everything at their fingertips, it's definitely gotten to the point of... I would say the only concern I have with streaming at this point, now that almost 100% of the stuff that I consume is of legal tender, the last bid that I would talk about in terms of streaming is just film. And anime films in the early 2010s, we there were a handful of shows. There were a... Or not a handful of shows. There were a handful of movies. Anywhere between 2012 and... Uh, 2000, you would find one to four anime films localized and being released in theaters for a year. Um, come 2013-2014, that went up to seven, but I was still in the midst of nearly consuming everything by legal means. Even though I had a Crunchyroll account, movies were a lot more difficult, considering that not all of the movies that were related to this content that I was enjoying would have made it all the way over to the seas. We would have to wait for Blu-ray rips, um, coming out from Japan, and somebody would rip it, and then distribute it, and then sub it, and then we would be able to go through. All of the shonen films, so all the Bleach films, all the Naruto films, um, I watched all of those uh, through Download and Torrents. And the first half of Ghibli's catalog, same deal. And I'm trying to think if there was one other major movie that I could think of, because I never did watch... I guess one of the Pokemon movies, but that was only because um, I like the Ro <laughs> the Rogers video that we had was closed, and I was kind of just interested to see where it was going at that point. But um, yeah, no, that kind of uh, had its time, and it moved on. Nowadays, from 2017 onwards, after the release of Your Name, every single opportunity that I have for a movie that is going to be coming out in theaters, the majority of the time it goes to the U.S. first, but Canada, we still have the opportunity, even though not as many, and that has been fixed, and it has been getting fixed over the past couple of months or years for equal amount of streaming, or not equal amount of streaming, equal amount of uh, cinema releases for Canada and the U.S., um, it's getting better. But now that that option is there, I don't think there is any other reason for me to jump back into torrenting anime films. Because it's all the legal option is now there before in the early 2010s and into the um into the mid 2010s there was no other possible reason for me to watch these films other than buying the dvds consistently with but with the amount of stuff that i was consuming there was no way i'd be able to pay for it so nowadays now that i have money now that i have time and now that the option is there 
now that you can legitimately go out to your own theater, even though it is limited screening, I do understand that. Not everybody is going to be able to find the time, considering that a lot of these either come out for a Sunday or a Wednesday. Uh, why Wednesdays? Um, it's The option is now there. And you can legitimately pay... You can now pay the distribution companies. In this term, I would uh, really like to thank Fathom Events, G-Kids, Eleven Arts, everybody like doing their best to give the most amount of options and the most amount of content to bring over here, which otherwise people would just say, oh, oh yeah, in which otherwise that we could just download a month or two after the movie comes out and then we could just watch it in the comfort of our own home. And I used to understand that, but now I don't. I can't. I cannot understand why now that the legal and legitimately good option is there, why you wouldn't actually take the opportunity to go out and see it for yourself. A lot of people, I can still see, know, like they don't want to go into a public setting to watch these kinds of films. I can definitely understand that. Although, watching My Hero's first movie, watching Konosuba's first movie, the energy and the atmosphere inside of that cinema was more than enough an experience and something that I would never be able to get just sitting at home and watching with a buddy or two. It is not possible to actually have that experience unless you go out. And if you're not trying to go and find that experience, that's definitely understandable. If you are completely, you know, if you are just streaming and torrenting every other option under the sun that you have at your disposal, fine. But it's just, if there's anything that you can do at that point in time is not complain when things don't go your way. If, if the movie is, if you're in the middle of a rural town in the States and the nearest theater is two hours away and you have no legitimate way to go through, then you know what, dude, go for it, torrent it. That's, that's definitely fine. But if it's just, if you have the opportunity, the at this point in time, going into the 2020s, where the advent of streaming is now the modem of choice, and everybody is doing it, and everybody has the opportunity, and we still have all those, um, we still have all the subscriptions necessary to go through. Look, go out and see it for yourself. Start now that we have the time, now that we have the money, we now have the ability to pay and show these people that hey. We appreciate what you're doing, and we have legitimately want to spread this and give as much of a pos uh, positive rap for it as humanly possible. And now that the opportunity is in our hands, that is honestly something that I would legitimately want to see pushed a little further. Honestly, in terms of the other priorities and projects that I was thinking on, I'm probably going to do a uh, small video on how it used to be the best time to be an anime fan for cinema. Uh, 2020 definitely swapped that around, um, don't get me wrong. Um... And it's not going to be normal for over a year. But at least in terms of Maiden Abyss's previous endeavors and the fact that they were able to get a virtual screening and give everybody the opportunity to go out and see this film at home. And it's just, hell yeah, no, it was 20 bucks. It's like, dude, you would pay 20 bucks for the movie ticket, for the stacks, for the gas, or the transit in order for you to get over there. 20 bucks is a steal. It is a glorious price for you to not only watch it once, but you have the ability to watch it for 24 hours after it is all over. You can still re-watch it and go back if you legitimately enjoy the film, which is what I did. So I'm going to see how this uh, weekly bid turns out. Probably try not to stretch it out to hour longs and kind of do what I'm doing now around uh, half hour bids. I'm going to try and I'm going to see if I can keep this pace up and go at a weekly rate, which definitely seems like it's still going to be an endeavor. 
I do have enough backlog, I do have enough stuff to talk about, but it's all going to be a matter of time just to kind of see if I'm going to have to go from weekly to bi-weekly. I don't think it will ever stretch out to monthly, but honestly, uh, we'll just have to see. Uh, so thanks for listening, and have a good one. Thank you.